David Osikin is in the pocket is sponsored by the School of Rock Mainline and Kroger Percussion. I'd like to thank the School of Rock Mainline located at 511 Old Lancaster Road in Berwyn. You can visit their website at schoolofrock.com. As for Dave Marsh or Rick Allison, I'd like to thank Kroger Percussion at krogerpercussion.com at a backslash ITP and it'll bring you to a website. You'll get a 5% discount. Call Eric Metz at 215-669-8588. That's KrogerPercussion.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to David Osikinen in the Pocket Podcast. Uh, And this is a bit of a solemn day. You know, this is kind of a... You know, I woke up today and and uh, and I was really happy to have our guest, who our guest is today, because he's a very very good dude and uh, and uh, you know uh, it's a tough time in America, you know. And I hate to start a podcast off like that, but it's kind of one of those undeniable things that all of us have to face. And we yeah. wake up to this uh, environment where uh, young children are being. Uh, uh, killed in our schools and it's a rough deal and uh, and we all have families and uh, and uh, it's it's just a, a tough pill to swallow to be honest with you but we're going to push on and we're going to talk today about uh, uh, a topic that I love and I participate in we're all drummers my, my of course I got Freddie B with me here today and I we're excited about our guest today He's a lefty, <laughs> like Freddie. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant drummer. Uh, uh, I met our friend Daniel Gless at, uh, I guess it was a Delaware drum show some years ago. But, you know, I was familiar of, of his work from the Royal Crown Review. And uh, he's a brilliant drummer, an amazing historian. Uh, I have a buddy that I grew up with, Bob Setlin who is a music guy, yeah. uh, he's a DJ, and he told me yep. about Daniel's uh, productions he was doing, going around the country, talking about the history of drums and bebop and swing. And uh, I know he's a fan of my drum teacher, Joe Casadas's. We've talked about that. We both tried to get in touch with Joe. I don't know how we were with that, but anyway, everybody welcome uh, Daniel Glass to the In The Pocket podcast. Hey. More be here. I'm I'm happy. It's like it's a it's a whole crew, man. You got a whole yeah. crew. Oh yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. You know we have a good time. You know Jimmy does a a, a fantastic job producing it and putting it together afterwards. But we just basically hang and and I, I invite people on the podcast that I admire and I follow and 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 it's an opportunity to 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 dig a little deeper into what you do and. Uh, uh, you know, we've we've when we do the drum show, a couple of times we've been next to each other. You're you're busy like signing autographs and talking drums with other people. There's there's like usually I'm driving we are doing home. the same. Yeah, we are right, doing right. The same. And I, and I'm heading back on. Ah, I wish I asked Daniel this, and I wish we would have talked about this, and you know all these great uh, things that he's into, and uh, and man, let me tell you, after you know the one thing that's pretty cool about this podcast is you get a little more uh, research into whoever's going to be your guest. And I got some great music from you with your latest project. The BAM thing is like just off the hook, just Thank really you. great. And, uh, you know, 
with our busy lives, we're being pulled here, there, and everywhere. Freddie understands that. Yep. So I got to focus in and read about what you were doing, about those other cats that you're playing with. And uh, so here we are, you know, so how's it going, man? So what's, <laughs> how's it going with everything? You're like waking up and uh, you have a gig today. What's 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 doing? Uh, I don't have a gig today, uh, but I, I have uh, this. Actually, this weekend is kind of nice. The next two weeks, I'm going to be on the road. Huh. Um, I'm going to um, upstate New York next weekend with Marilyn May, who's a yeah. amazing, maybe maybe the greatest musician I've ever worked with. She's wow. 94, a 94 year old singer. Whoa. She is uh, not well known to the general public, but she's kind of a legend in the world of like cabaret. Yeah. And, oh, I know uh, who Marilyn May is. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. She, she, uh, she That's amazing. Me. You're working with her. I I've saw a piece on CBS. She did yeah. a, she CBS did a Sunday great, morning. did a great piece on Marilyn May. And yeah. uh, I, I, I don't know if it was Anthony, Mason that did it, but there was a, a just uh, just incredible, uh, you know, her history was unbelievable, and the fact that you're you're playing with her, man, that's that's unbelievable. I, I feel very privileged because, as you yeah. know, I'm very into the history now. Yeah, absolutely. American music and the yeah. instrument and all that, and so to have the opportunity to play with somebody like Marilyn, who, you yeah. know, for example, Mel Lewis played drums yeah. on her first wow. records on RCA. She's right. worked with Buddy. You know yeah, the buddy right, rich right, man, right, right, right. Yeah. the comedian Shecky Green. Oh, yeah, you know, like I mean, she she knew Ella Fitzgerald, like all these people. She holds the record for the number of times a singer uh, appeared on the Carson Show, which is seventy six times. Wow, you know, wow. She knew the songwriter Johnny Mercer. I mean, it's oh, yeah. like yeah. so somebody who has breathed yeah. the same air as these people that right. you know. Unfortunately, right. I never had the chance to meet or right. see yeah. perform live. Right. Uh, for me, as somebody who's interested in that era, it's just the most amazing thing. And she's yeah. 94, and her knees are bad, uh, but everything else about her is rock solid. And wow. She cool. sings her ass off. And I always tell people this, like, you know, oh, she's a chick singer. She is probably the most, like... Ballsy. No, well, oh, yeah. she knows what she wants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, she leads that band. But, no, no, what I mean is she is a incredibly developed musician she understands wow. music she understands the big picture of uh, all of that stuff and right. she puts right together on. these incredible medleys and all kinds of stuff so and i mean and she sings her ass off and wow. sort of like the wily veteran right. you know you know you can't you can't like the, mm. ath the athlete you can't just hammer through you mm. gotta you gotta play smart right mm -hmm. rather than play yeah. physical so yeah. she knows how to right. do all that and she yeah. She, she nails a crowd more than any, you know, wow. practically anybody that wow. I know. And I've learned so much working with her. I bet. You know, she wants a very strong rhythm, but she doesn't like cymbals, which is really interesting. I so, love it. That's great. And so, you know, we do a lot of ballads and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And the first time I worked with her, she said, no rivets. She hates rivet cymbals. <laughs> And now imagine playing ballads all night, wow. but not allowed to bring right, a right, right, right. rivet well, cymbal. The so, fact that she even thinks like that says a lot, you know. I mean, she's thinking production and the, you're but she's, thinking big what picture. she hears, she hears overtones coming out wow. of cymbals. Wow. She's wow. fired excellent drummers because wow. they wouldn't change out their cymbal, and the overtones just get in the way of where her voice sits. Right, you know? right, right, right. You know, you used to hear stories about guys like Joe Jones, yeah. Mel Lewis. You know, they would talk about playing on a ride. 
and during the sax section, when the sax section was doing something, they'd play on this part of the ride so the overtones could could deal with that. You know, because, I mean, you know, <laughs> what we want is like those rides right. that are yeah. hammered, you know, in a way right. that every yeah. ride is a little right. different. You right. get that killer ride. Yeah. Yeah. The problem is most people in the world today, and it's nobody's fault, but we come from more of a rock perspective where yeah. we're just hammering away yeah. on our drums. We're not thinking about these kind yeah. of really finite yeah. Yeah, point yeah, but yeah. when you work with somebody like Marilyn it's always a piano trio mm -hmm. and the thing is she always oh, no, has to have no. a drummer she will not do a gig with just the piano or piano bass she got to right. have the trio which has been great for me because I yeah, get right. to go places with her maybe wow. she, somebody else wouldn't take wow. me wow. she is listening to everything every bit of the arrangement every bit of the you know what's happening and and she always tells me and she loves me but she always gives me shit and she says yeah. she says Daniel, the only reason I hire you is because you can play quietly. Yeah, you don't get in my way, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so, yeah. And, and, but it's it's a joke because obviously I got to fit in and make it no, be great. Daniel, sure, sure. you're the guy, man. I mean, you said a, that you used the word playing smart earlier yeah. in your context of what we were, were talking about. But that's the deal right there. That's amazing. The understanding... Wow and knowing who you're working for. I mean, right away, I, I got a grin when you mentioned playing on the one part of the symbol because, you know, just having you in this group with Freddie and I, I mean, you know, we're, you know, especially in this part of the air, the world, you know, we, we're like wily veterans of this, yeah. you know, getting in the studio, doing what we do. It, you know, we had to rely on thinking about like, how's it gonna work? You know, it's, we can't always rely on, the physicality, you know, because we're yeah. getting a little uh. older, you know. <laughs> wow. But wow. you know, but that's but that's cool because there is absolutely an art form to that. I just saw on your Facebook you're playing with John Sebastian. Well, I did. I did a gig with John uh, uh, a while back, and you know, really, it was an odd thing. But I was doing a show with uh, I've played with Billy Burnett. Uh, yeah. And Billy is an uh, listen. Billy sang with Elvis Presley. And Billy's oh, yeah. got a, you know, his his history, just his family alone. Well, the Burnett brothers, yeah, yeah right, yeah. right. Trio, I know all that stuff. You know all, yeah, right. So, you know, uh, when we were playing up in Woodstock, Billy uh, and and John are friends, and he invited John to the show. And next thing you know, when John shows up, he shows up with an amplifier and a guitar. You know, yeah. and then we're like Kenny and I, and 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 Kenny Aronson was playing bass. We're sitting there on stage Monster. and yeah, and we both, we mentioned, hey man, John might be coming. We should kind of maybe mess with some of these tunes, but he was another guy. We were playing softly, you know, we weren't playing like full out, you know, I mean, you know, it was, I don't know, maybe somebody would probably say softly really, but we, we were, you know, really the dynamics was a big part of what we were going after with him. And he really appreciated that, you know, working yes. with somebody that, you know, you get it when you work with artists that have that, that have been around them for a while, they don't want to be. Interesting enough, John and I had a conversation that night about in-ears. Mm. Yeah, because mm. I, you know, I, where was I? I just went to a show um, Saturday night. I went to see Southside Johnny oh, at, yeah, at, Johnny. in Atlantic City. Because my uh, uh, Tom Sagusa, my buddy, plays drums with Southside. He invited me to the show, and I noticed that they didn't have; uh, they all had monitors on stage. And I and I, I told him, I said, "I'm I'm amazed that you you guys over all these years don't you, 
use in-ears because that kind of changed things for me. I mean, right. I don't know about you. You, you probably, with Maryland, you, you, use, you probably might not even have monitors. Do you have monitors with Maryland? We do, but the way I always try to set it up is, if possible, I want to be able to hear all the instruments without too much of the help of the monitor. Okay. Because what happens is as soon as that happens, then my plane gets louder. Yeah. Exactly. That, you know, everything is loud. Sure. And, and sure. that gets in her way, you know. Right. So, yeah. you know, it's, yeah. uh, it's just, yeah. but I, I, I hear you. One thing I wanted to point out, Count Basie, okay? The Count Basie band did not use monitor wedges until 1980. And he died wow. in 85, okay? Wow. So from 1935 or 34, whenever he started, right, right, until 1980, they played to each other and they played wow. to the room. Yes, and they, they were did. great. They were. they were great. I yeah, saw we're talking him. 18 yeah. people, yeah. no monitors. Yeah, I it's, saw so that's, yeah. They were great. That's, yeah. that is, that's an understanding of sound and yep. tone and texture and awareness and whatever room you're in. And obviously yep. everybody changes, you know? Yep. Yeah. So yep. Freddie yep. Green, the guitar yep. player for Count Basie, he yep. never plugged in, ever. He never used an amp. What he would, he would put a mic finally in front. But for years and years, wow, you know, his action was like two inches, you know, off, wow. the, off the neck. neck? Wow. And, Turn his guitar almost sitting flat on his lap. If you look at him in the later years, he's sitting down. Well, he was sitting down the whole time, but right. he just, you know, he took one recorded solo in 50 years with Basie. Wow. So it was about, it was about his instrument really? was the amp. The body of the guitar was the amp. The body wow. of the bass was the amp. The right. body of the piano. Those things are designed to project, right? Of wow. course, we, we think about that. It makes right. sense, but we're right. so in the world of amplification these days. Right. So right. he okay. just chucked that thing, and it was a percussion instrument, you know, and it created sound. Right. So wow. anyway, not to go too far down. No, that I, I, no, love, no I, love, I love this topic. Was, and and, and yeah. I got to ask you, since you were talking about Count Basie yeah. and, and Freddie, did, did, did you... Um, did you ever meet Butch Miles? Because I saw him, Butch Miles was no. playing drums. Duffy was Butch, playing. Duffy you know, was with you. So yeah, yeah. Twice. Was, my dad Butch took was, me twice. I saw I saw Count Basie at my high school. Oh wow! It was in high school in the gymnasium, Amazing. and it was in 1971 or two. And Amazing. Butch Miles was playing drums. Wow. And I, I didn't even think about the fact that they were playing with no monitors. Right, yeah. right. I mean, and imagine how terrible the sound of a gymnasium right. is. Right. Oh. Trying to play, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, I, I mean, but that I'll tell you my, my little, like, this is what I talk about when I talk about, like, what made these big bands so great, and especially the Count Basie rhythm section. So we'll go back even further to, to, the, to the original you know, rhythm section, which yeah. we called, they were called the All-American Rhythm Section. That's wow. how important they were, that they had their own name. Wow. Like, right. The only other yeah. rhythm section I could think of that had its own name was Double Trouble with Stevie uh, Ray Vaughan. Yeah, yeah, Stevie. Right. And the Swampers. Like, the Swampers. Yeah. Uh, the Swampers. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so we have some examples. We have right. some examples. Right. But there aren't many, right? There are right. not many. Right, right. And so right. anyway, the All-American Rhythm Section. And I was thinking about it because, the, you know, I have a photo of, 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 of a big band, I don't know which one from that era, but playing in these huge dance halls. You had Roseland Ballroom, you had the Steel Pier, you know, you had the, yeah. the Savoy. Yeah. Like, yeah. those places could fit like 5,000, 7,000 people. Jesus. So my question is, <laughs> how? With yeah. the, and then there was no PA. 
right. there was no monitors right. and you know forget monitors there was there was literally no pa for the band there was just right. pre-amplification yeah yeah. 30s. yeah so how yeah how Maybe the singer? one mic for the for singer, the singer. Yeah. exactly but other than that how does a, a rhythm section get seven thousand people to dance many of whom are very far from the band without blowing away the horns on the stage so that it's still the the level sounds right you know and this is where these guys did this so here's what i figured out a couple years ago well it's now i think 2015 i did uh i did that gene krupa clinic actually the one i did in delaware that was great yeah, I did the Chicago great. drum show and DW, God bless them, built me a drum set, 26 inch bass, but wow. it was only 14 deep. You know, wow. the, bigger, the bigger you go with diameter, wow. the, the shallower it should be so, the, so that the, yeah. you can still move the air in an appropriate way. Gotcha. Right. So yep, yep. 26 by 14, he used a 28 by 14. So DW was like, we got to be able to sell this drum set. So we're only building you a 26. Yeah. And then the, the toms and whatever. So... I, I did the clinic and I I had been learning from guys like Louis Belson and other guys from that era about how to tune and how to muffle to to really get the impact to 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 be felt far away. A couple weeks after the clinic, I got an email from this guy. He said, I was at your show at Chicago and I was sitting about 25 rows away from the stage. I was pretty far back yeah. and I could feel your bass drum. Wow. I could feel it. You know, yeah, yeah. so Good. when you think about that rhythm section, first you got the bass drum all the way underneath, and they were right. able to set it up so that they were literally moving air, you know, so yeah, that yeah. it was a sound wave. It was wow. a physical force. Right. Then you have the bass, right? Gut strings, so it wasn't it wasn't a, a sharp was, sound. Yeah. It was thum thum thum. Yeah. You know, yeah. muted sound. Yeah. Then you have the guitar. Then you have the piano. Then you have the cymbals. And they were able to, since all of them are playing these quarter notes, you have a quarter note from the very bottom of the sound spectrum to the very top of the sound spectrum. Every frequency all being moved yeah. and pushed out. Yeah. This is how they did it, man. That's crazy. This is how they did it. I know. It is crazy. Yeah. They were able to get 7,000 people who were yelling, yeah. dancing, yeah. talking, clinking glasses, shuffling right. their feet. The guy in the back of the room is feeling that <laughs> section hitting him, you know? It's like disco before disco. Yeah. That yeah. same quarter note. Exactly that right, concept. man. Yeah. I mean, four, four yeah. to the floor, you know, right? works like a charm, which goes back to marching, right? You're getting yeah. people to walk down yeah. the field. I mean, yeah. same thing. But the idea is you didn't obliterate them like you did with a marching drum section. Right. You right. hit them in this beautiful, subtle way. And this is what the, the all-American rhythm section perfected. <laughs> that then every band after them copied and is still really what jazz is based on and then became what rock was based on became yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah. Oh, it was that yeah. Sonny Payne who was who was in the rhythm? Papa Joe Jones. Oh, Papa Joe the, Jones. the original. Wow. Yeah, we're talking Walter Page on right. the bass, right. Papa right. Joe, right. Freddie Green, and Basie. Oh my wow. God. Wow. Yeah. That's, so that Papa was, Joe yeah. was before Sonny, yeah. Sonny Payne. Yeah, right. Sonny Payne was uh, started with Basie in the fifties. Oh, okay, and went wow. went along with him through the sixties into the into the early seventies. Right. He came and went. Wow. Um, right. Which Miles, you know, was playing with him yeah. in the late sixties and right. and the seventies, and right. apparently, yeah, early seventies. Right. So I, I met Butch and interviewed yeah. him a few times, and yeah. he's, he's a beautiful, beautiful he's guy. Real, yeah, I, I've seen some YouTube clip, clips of him. 
And uh, I think I went over and I said hello. I, I, I was maybe in 10th grade. And I remember he was just fantastic that night. I mean, just incredible. And I never really thought about the monitor thing because I'm thinking, man, I remember sitting there with my dad and he sounded amazing. And, uh, uh, it, it, you know, it's just remarkable. I mean, look, you know, this the sound thing fascinates me because, you know, after all these years of playing, I'm still trying to figure it out myself since I've been using ears for a long time. Yeah. And 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 one thing that's happened with me, like we're I'm in a rock and roll band, so and touring. Listen, Daniel, we're, we're I'm I'm playing about the vocalists I work with. They want everything like like almost like what happened on Thursday night. We want to feel it the same way on on Friday night, right. you know what I mean? So about a good 85% of the show that I'm doing with the Hooters, I'm playing to a click. And 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 what happens, I, I was watching a, a performance from Switzerland a few months ago, and I realized as steady and cool as it was, I I, I, I thought, oh, you know, I'm, I, I, there were some things I missed. Like I missed a little bit of that. Yeah. You know, even though I've kind of feel like I'm, I'm very comfortable playing there, but I still feel like, man, you know, I, as much as, and I get it because they're basically, I'm, they're my bosses, you know, when it, on stage, when it comes down sure. to it. And I want to be able to, you know, please them, <laughs> you know, play in the, of course. in the pocket. But I'm telling you, I'm hearing stuff right now that I'm going, man, I, I wish almost, I, I almost want to put that thing away because it's affecting the performance a little bit. You know what's but, so interesting? Uh, but sound-wise, I'm, I'm wrestling yeah. with that kind of thing, sound-wise, yeah. lately, because I find myself, I, I I don't think I'd be touring without these, because I, you know, it just, I've taken some hits, dam it's damaged some things, but I, I think that it, it it compensates sometimes, I'm, I'm, I'm losing the feel, you know, it's just a bit of a challenge, I'm trying to figure it out, you know, even here I am in my, this point in my career, trying to figure it out. You know, and I think, you know, with you out you were talking about going out on the road with Marilyn and playing those those live gigs and, you know, it sounds, you know, I mean, I'm jealous. It's like, wow. I mean, one, you're, you're, you pull it off. I know that's something I couldn't do. It's fun but, and it's but, challenging in its own way because then see, you know, for every room you're in, yeah. it's a totally different situation. You got to be able to find that thing. Yeah. You know, whatever the room is, whether it's yeah. a club or right. you know, right. different size spaces, whether it's, you know, sometimes we do like a, a, in a tent somewhere or yeah. whatever. Outdoors, so, sure. I mean, you walk in a room, you're thinking that stuff. When you walk in to a venue, you're kind of yeah. like, your brain is like in gig mode from the moment you walk into that venue. It's not just, you know what I mean? You're thinking about how's that sound going to be? As you're, you're a bit of a, a musical scientist, that way I look at it, you know? You're trying to figure it out, you know, yeah. it's remarkable. You know, what's cool. Well, there's so many things I want to say in, yeah. in relation to, to all the things that you just said. Um, I, I had an interesting experience in 1993, Steely Dan got back together and started touring again. Remember uh -huh. it was like a big event yeah. and yeah. Peter Erskine and I was so excited. I was living in LA. I went and yeah. saw them at the Greek theater. I was like, I was wow. so excited. And I remember on when they, when they would play the earlier tunes, I was disappointed because it was locked into a click and yeah. it had a different feel. Like, okay, reeling in the years was now perfect. Yeah. It didn't feel the same. And you just Peter <laughs> right. Erskine playing it, and it was sort of like you have this stallion that you've got to rein in. Yeah. You know, and I just kind of felt like uh, I was a little disappointed by that. For uh, me, that wasn't what 
I yeah. wanted, you know, yeah. maybe right. that's what right. Donald Fagan wanted. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> Obviously. I wanted, yeah. Yeah. Hear the, I wanted the song yeah. to bound along. You know, that's one yeah. of the things yeah. great about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's interesting. I, I, but I, I, um, yeah. Also, I had to say, I have to say one thing, to not to move away from this, but you told me you saw Basie in a, in your high school gymnasium. Yeah, yeah. And I've told you this before, but I'll yeah. say it for the record on the podcast. Yeah. I saw you. Oh. In my college gymnasium. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Really? I went to Brandeis University and the Hooters oh, nice. played in, oh. I think it would have been spring 85. It was my freshman year of college. Oh, my God. And you guys played yeah. 85 because you were really hot happening yeah. at that, at that yeah. time. Yeah. And uh, I hope it was a good show. <laughs> it, was a, it was a great show, but it was in our gymnasium. Yeah. So I saw you when I was a younger guy in our – so, you know, Loud. things go on. But, uh, yeah, That's no, great. I love it. I didn't know who you were, but uh, you know, I, yeah. I do now. And it's, I it's, was playing it's, the yellow – to tell you that. The yellow kid on the side. Oh, I never knew. Well, actually, if you told me, I, I never, I didn't remember. But that's pretty cool. That's cool. You know. Yeah. That's no, cool I, stuff. I love, I love the band. I thought it was a great band. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Well, I'm about to do six weeks on the road with them, starting in a few weeks. So yeah, it's uh, blessed, somehow man. we keep on keeping that thing churning on. And I recorded something new uh with with the band i don't know if i told you about this freddie but i you did recorded over at Eric's? And, and yeah and it, it's a it's when the band started we were more of a um a, a reggae ska thing and yep. we're kind of getting yeah. back we're, we're we're kind of done a full you know cool you know, we're back i guess at 360 right we're back to where yeah, we yeah. started and yeah. uh we're kind of messing with those grooves and you know, uh, so it's fun, you know, like it's a lot of fun. Not that the other stuff isn't fun, but at this point where we're at, it was like, okay, let's do what we want to do because we really don't need right to on. please anybody. Hopefully our fans will like what we're doing, but, uh, you well, know. I tell you, you know, I was drawn to, uh, is it All You Zombies? Is that yeah, the, one yeah. Of your, one of your biggest, yeah. that, was, that was the first hit of yours I heard. I, yeah. was, I was still in Hawaii. I was still a senior in high school. Oh, wow. And that was a big hit on the radio there. Yeah. Oh, wow. And I loved the reggae feel, man. Yeah, you know, yeah. I was nice. drawn to that. You know, yeah. On that particular tune. What so, island? Yeah. What island uh, are you from? I grew up in on in Honolulu, which, oh, is, wow. which is on Oahu. Yeah, Oahu. You, you grew up there too, right? Grew oh, there awesome! Wow. One. <laughs> wow. wow! Wow! So, how's your surfing chops? Terrible. Are they? <laughs> because I spent. First of all, I'm very fair skinned, so I would get burned. You know, you I would go. go to school. What three of us? Yeah, yeah, I mean it's terrible. So, I, and as soon as I got into drums, uh, it's great. I spent all my weekends yeah. in rehearsal spaces, you know, darkened wow. rooms. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so you, you know, had to know early on in Hawaii you're going to be leaving the island at some point. You knew, like when you were a teenager, you're probably like, yeah, I mean, I'm going to New York because I, I just assumed you were a New York guy. I mean, you play like a New York guy, and then you were, but you see. And I became aware of you when I was living. I lived in the West Coast for 20 years. And oh. I, beca I became aware of the Royal, Royal Crown Review through yeah. my guys. I played for a while with some of the guys from a band called the Mississippi Mud Sharks. And okay. uh, Scotty Blinn. And they had a band called the Tiki Tortures. They were into like, I mean, everything was swinging. And with Freddie, uh, we were doing a lot of, uh, uh, you know, just, it was all swing stuff. And the stuff we were listening to was your band. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Right. And I remember, and Brian Setzer, uh, yeah. you know, after he, he left the Stray Cats or, or, or yeah. was doing some other things. I did but, two years in his big band. Yeah. Uh, 
I did a couple years in his big band yep. and I worked with all those, all those people. So that was our, uh, Wow. Yeah, and I lived on in LA for twenty years. I only wow. moved to New York twelve years ago. So wow. Oh wow. Um, yeah. I you know, in Hawaii, when you grow up in Hawaii, there's two pathways. You're and and they're both really hard, you know, different different uh directions. And there's no mm-hmm. other option. So you mm-hmm. either stay mm-hmm. and then you're there and mm-hmm. it's five hour flight to the nearest other part of the United States mm-hmm. and you're on an island yeah. or you leave and then you got to go a minimum five hour flight away. So it's a, yeah. it's a tough choice for kids yeah. growing up. But right. for me, it was not a tough choice because I, no. I, I just, I knew that probably my path in life was not going to be in Hawaii. I didn't know what it was going to be, but yeah. right on. Um, so I went to Boston to Brandeis university, which is about as far away from Hawaii as you can go. Yep. I've been in the snow yeah. and I wanted to go oh. kind of like a cool yeah. area. Although Brandeis is in Waltham, it's not exactly in Boston, right. which I didn't right. realize until I got there, you know, right. Right. Thought I was going to be in the middle of Boston. Not quite. Wow. But, um, anyway, I mean, I, I've sort of, uh, <clears throat> it's funny. You mentioned, you say I play like a New Yorker because to me, I had a 20 year career in LA. We were signed yeah. to Warner Brothers. We did yeah. records. We had Templeman, who did all yeah. the, the, oh, yeah. the uh, Van Halen records, yeah. the Doobies. I mean, he was yeah. an amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah. Whole, we, know about we that. had this whole moment in the music industry, the old school music industry. But it wasn't until I moved to New York that I really finally felt like I was home. I feel like this is where I belong. This is where, yeah, you felt know, right. Right um, on. Where all my skill sets are really appreciated yeah. and working yeah. for me, and um, I work a lot out here, and I love it. I love yeah. the history. I love the yeah. vibe. I love the tradition. I love the struggle. You know, it's just like to me, that's that's that to me personally, that's what being a musician is all yeah. about. I love the small rooms and playing mezzo piano and below, yeah. and really making an art yeah. form out of that. And 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 you know, until like. People get it when they come to my gear. I play every Monday at Birdland, the, oh, the jazz club. Nice. I, I got to get it. We got well. I got to get out there to see you. You got to come up, man. I, well, we haven't been in New York. The pandemic has kept us out of New York, but yeah. we're taking a trip next week up to Pittsburgh to see some things that we've never seen and hang out go. there. But nice. New York is always some place we always well. Come stay. Make sure you, you stay come through. Out. We will yeah, stay, stay through on a Monday. I'll put yeah. you on the guest wow. list. Wow, love that. It's a, nice. it's a really that. kind of a New York experience. Broadway, wow. cabaret, jazz. We wow. play, you know, everything on that night. Yeah. Yeah. It's swinging. Yeah. I'm working on my dang, dang, da dang. Yeah. No, yeah. I love that you're saying you're working. Daniel, listen. That's you know, I'm not going to. My life pursuit. My uh, life pursuit. Yeah, but listen, just for people that are watching the podcast, I mean, I'm not going to read this, but it, it, you sent me some info. But you've played with Bette Midler, Lisa, you, you know, Bette, uh, Liza Minnelli, Brian Setzer, Harry Connick Jr., Freddie Cole, Ruben Blades, Jason Marsalis, uh, Kathleen Turner, Lucy Arnaz. And what I got me is the Gene Simmons things that you did. Yeah. I mean, you really had <laughs> your career is remarkable. I mean, it's it, not only the playing, but, you know, how you and which is incredible. Uh, and you're all the all the great artists that you work with, but the whole the thing that you do is educating people and talking like you're talking to us. You know, I just feel like I'm learning something when I talk to you. And you've been giving back to the drum community and musicians. 
your entire life, man. As long when you after the, you had some success, it was like, hey, I'm teaching. I'm gonna, and you know what I mean. And and it's been amazing. I, I commend you on it, and I think it's really remarkable. And it's such a great thing that you do. You put a whole uh, that your 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 presentation is remarkable. Thanks, really man. Remarkable. I appreciate yeah. that. Well, what's interesting is what really got me into it. I mean, I. When I moved to Los Angeles in 1991, I wanted to be Vinnie Caliuta. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. like everybody else, they moved to Los Angeles yeah. in 1991. I wasn't thinking about history. I didn't know. I didn't care about it. I didn't have any. But my involvement with the band Royal Crown Review, you know, which for people that don't know now, because it's now a long time ago. but yeah, go um, look them up. Was, was the band that was sort of responsible for the big swing resurgence that happened in the yeah. 90s. Yeah, it was and, great. And it's still great. Yeah, and it was a it was a great band. It's like a, a little big band. We had three horns, and um, we sort of, you know, the band. Those guys were really. It was it was more than just a, a musical style. It hey, was a, you even got on VH MTV, right? TV, yeah, we when, did. I mean, you made videos. I mean, it it was a big movement. It was it was a huge worldwide movement, and yeah. I had a very wonderful like twenty year career as yeah. as a result of that. Um, yeah. The band was around before the trend, and then after the trend, right. we were around. And we, in the early 2000s, we spent a lot of time. The first decade of the 2000s, we went to Australia. We had a huge career there for about yeah, 15 yeah. trips down yeah, there, and yeah. um, different, you know, Europe and, and all that stuff. So, so all that was great. But one thing, you know, the, that that band was really committed on every level. So we were students of history, and we were, you know, back before the internet took over everything you could go to Goodwill and find amazing cool suits and tie bars and vintage ties and clothes and instruments. Yeah. You know, that's, that's where I got into collecting vintage drums because all the guys in the band use vintage gear and, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, pulp novels. And some of the guys drove these beautiful vintage cars. I mean, they were like yeah. really committed and yeah, there was yeah. a whole scene around no, that. I, I remember cool. that. Well, I remember for that me, well. for me, the, the best part about all that was meeting the older guys that had actually made the music that we were, you know, if if not covering, we were inspired they'd by. They'd come it. out. They'd come out to gigs. They'd come yeah. out. Yeah, and wow. I started meeting these wow. guys. Wow. You know, and somebody said, "Oh yeah, the guy who played with, you know, say, you know, Benny Goodman is here. The guy who played with Glenn Miller is here." Right, what right, right. I started <laughs> meeting these, these yeah. incredible old guys, and what yeah. I realized is that they all had these amazing stories to tell, yeah. and nobody was paying any attention or cared. Yeah, that's such and, a shame. Right. To right. me, like what I realized is that there was this amazing story to tell about the drums and the drum set and the evolution of our instrument. Yeah. Nobody knew it. Nobody right. in the drumming community right. really knew anything about it. maybe you had historians who knew names and you know, this guy played with this band from this time to this time, but nobody was like, How did they get that sound? Right. How did they right. use this finish right. here? You know, it was like I would ask people not what was it like to play with Elvis. I mean, I, I interviewed all of Elvis's drummers. Uh, Jay, you know, uh, uh, DJ Fontana. DJ Fontana. Yeah. Uh, I also got to know Ron Tut, you know, who was oh, nice. Wow. Wow. And I also got to know Buddy Harmon, who became wow. one of my oh, yeah. dear friends. Master. Nobody knows this, but Buddy played on every one of Elvis's 33 movie soundtracks. All wow. of them. He would wow. fly that out makes sense. to LA from Nashville because he was like, he was a trusted because, you know, 
um, Elvis was in Memphis and Nashville. Yeah. Also, DJ Fontana played on a lot of those things. Wow. So they, you know, DJ wasn't as trained as Buddy. Nope. Right. Buddy was kind of the ringer, but DJ would play. Then they would bring in guys like Hal Blaine, the exactly. LA guys in the '60s, um, and some of these other uh, legendary figures who were there. Earl Palmer. And they would. You'd have two and three drummers, and they'd be playing yep. percussion and whatever else. But it was right. still like all in the family. It was still yep. like all this, you know, all in the family right. thing. Yeah. So I got to know, you know, Buddy. So I covered like every aspect wow. of, of Elvis's career wow. um, through meeting these guys, and that became. I then wanted to kind of tell their stories. Right on. And that's that's really what inspired me to start putting these books and DVDs together and brilliant. Show brilliant. People where can people get like, can you, where, where can people online, obviously at your website, but this stuff is fascinating yeah. stuff. Yeah. So I if mean, somebody if, they wanted to my website, and... if they go to my website, they can at least see what I've got yeah. and you can order from my website or Amazon, you know, Amazon right? or yeah. say if you're in the UK, it's going to be right. cheaper to get it from Amazon in the UK right. and have right. me ship it. Super right. expensive. But um, in any case, yeah. So I have, I have three DVDs and five books. Yeah, yeah. And, um, hey, hey. hey we're, and, zipping, we're zipping away. And I just want to play a little bit of music because oh, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. This is, Daniel, we're going to have to do like a whole series of podcasts with you. <laughs> yeah, really. Because there's so much great stuff and, and, and just on, on every level. Okay, hey, um, Jim, yeah. do we have, hey, Poncho, I want to play a little bit of uh, oh, the, a crown review for people to, to hear. Hey, but you have you that
Bravo, man. You know, usually, most times, I, you know, we start talking through the track. That was brilliant. Uh, yeah, that was I, great. Get your heart racing. Uh, man, that must be fun to play, too. Now, is, I have a question. Is that one of the records that temp, uh, Ted Templeman? So, you know, he's originally a drummer, right? Oh, yeah. How oh, yeah. was that like? Working with Ted was amazing. And actually, um, he recently released an autobiography a couple of years ago that is super great and worth wow. reading. Wow. Okay. Um, story, All right. Incredible story because he he grew up in the hills of Santa Cruz, California. Um, and then he was he was actually in a band that yes. he was originally the drummer for, and then I he was that. the lead singer called Harper's Bazaar. Yes, oh, yeah. I remember you know? that. And that they did this really weird chipmunk version of feeling groovy. They sped up all his vocals and everything. And so, <laughs> he, but through that experience, that band was signed to Warner Brothers, and he became friends with Lenny Warrenker and was mentored by Lenny, and um, then went on to become one of the greatest producers ever. Um, sure, yeah. you know, his it's wow. it's his story of just all the artists he worked for and the record business at that time. Can you imagine? They like, were building it. It's all yeah, you know. Yeah. If you look at the history, you know, Warner Brothers in '72 or three. Right. I mean, it must have been so incredible. Little Feet. Yeah. He worked with Little Feet as yeah. well. Yeah, Dan uh, Morrison. Yeah. Yep. The doobies. Yep. And then, you know, he did incredible stuff and he did he he's responsible for so much stuff that that you know that we don't even really you know know about. When you read this, you you realize and wow. his influences. So what was really cool was like we had been seen by Quincy Jones, we had been seen by Richard Perry, like all these really oh, wow. you know, because our band had the buzz, the whole thing was happening locally. Yeah. Right. Um and a lot of people came and saw the band and everybody passed because they didn't know what to do with us. Uh -huh. Ted knew immediately what to do with us. Yeah. Wow. He understood jazz and he understood yeah. that we were right. young guys trying and to- And that was a great label for you. I thought Warner's just a great label. It was great. It was great. Nice. Um, so, you know, unfortunately, shortly thereafter, the whole bottom fell out of the of the of the business. It yeah, happened right. so fast. And, you know, he was part of um, a triumvirate of guys at, at Warner Brothers uh, Mo Austin, Lenny Warnker was yeah. the magic producer, and Ted right. was number three. They were the guys. Right. Those three yeah. guys, they they really that was when when we joined the label. Warner had like you know we uh, it was Warner Electric Atlantic right, had right, right. twenty five percent share of the market. It was incredible, yeah. massive. And within months of us getting signed, Mo and Lenny both left. Yeah, and then they Edgar, started bringing Edgar in. Bronfman wasn't was it Bronfman Edgar it, Bronfman somebody that came in there for a little while. Yeah, no, well, they, they brought in this guy, Doug Morris. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, these guys just, uh, Danny yeah. uh, Goldberg was the yeah. first guy mm -hmm. to come. Mm -hmm. And Danny Goldberg wasn't even a producer. He had been a publicist. Yes. Right. Zeppelin, and he came in to see us. We we played live in the studio as we were making that record, which is called Muggsy's Move. Yeah. We played like six songs in the studio for this guy, Danny Goldberg. Now, you you were just saying like, oh, that makes you go, makes you move. Right. They're like this. Yeah. That was yeah. his reaction. Didn't get it. No, no response, no movement. And all he said at the end was, it's not really something that's going to get on the radio, is it? Uh, and uh, he missed the whole thing. Like, yeah, he was right. so, so clueless. Yeah. So yeah. in the meantime, yeah. We, yeah. we led the way. We went out and did the tours in the RV of the super crappy clubs all over America, <laughs> opening this up. And then all the rest of those bands that had million-selling records that had support from their labels that ended up playing the Super Bowl and were in all these movies and everything, 
they all followed and they got the, the credit and yeah. we're sort of this right. kind of forgotten yeah. you know right. Yeah. Right. everybody says yeah. oh they were the they were the pioneers but yeah. right. everybody knows that song hey pachuco but yeah. nobody knows there's a band yeah. behind it yeah. you know? right. so my buddy brad johnson was one of the he, he ran he was the manager with the guitar center in hollywood i believe was a massive fan uh, Royal Crown Ryu. He had a he was a bass player. He had an upright bass. He played with yeah. a band. I forget the name of the band, but he loved you guys, and he knew some of the guys in the band. But he would tell me about about your band, and uh, uh, it's just remarkable. I got to ask you because we're running short on time. I got to ask you about this Gene Simmons thing. Tell me yeah. about that. Me about <laughs> well, that. we you know being in L.A., you know you lived in L.A., yeah, so yeah. all kinds of weird stuff happens, and yeah. who knows what you know what might happen and and what's going on, but. Um, we, I joined the band in 94, we got signed in 95 and by 96, we were touring, uh, pretty hard. Right. And in 96, Kiss got back together and put the makeup back on. The original right. guys came back together and they, it was the biggest tour in the world. Yeah. And it just so happened that we were on the same tour trajectory that they were on. So we were hitting, you know, this city and then the next city and the next city and they were there you know as well so i remember one night we're driving and literally like 15 we were in an rv met right at this point we we're on warner brothers we had no tour support we made yeah. our own money they yeah. didn't even believe in us you probably you know? did better off that way though because no, you didn't know them yeah. because yeah. We, we were able we i mean amazingly at this at those times we could yeah. play medium-sized clubs and finance our own tour and right. make right. money make money yeah. merch yeah. sales and uh, and through all the shows were sold out. Right. So I mean that was cool, and our overhead was low because we you know we had like it was like eight of us. Yeah. Seven band members and a crew guy in an yeah. RV meant for five. Wow. <laughs> so you, you get the picture. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. so one night we're driving and like fifteen tour buses just hauled past us, and that was Kiss's tour. You know, uh, like the yeah. biggest tour. So we had this crazy thing. We played in Denver. And of course, we're playing in clubs. You know, we played the Bluebird Theater. Bluebird, which is yeah. And uh, yeah. so our show didn't start till like 10, 30, 11. And their show was over already at the Denver Enormo Dome. So they, they're managing it. <laughs> like it was the same promoter. So they gave the management tickets to come see us. Yeah. And then we, in turn, Kiss had a second night and we stayed in Denver. They got us front row t tickets to see this tour. I couldn't, our whole band, front row center. Wow. Yeah. wow. It was wow. mind blowing. So we kept ping ponging with Kiss as we, as we did this tour. And nobody knows this, but they did not, Kiss was so, they, first of all, they didn't want to carry an opener with them. So okay. everywhere they went, they had regional openers or they had a band that would do, because all these bands were getting booed off stage because of course, the, yeah, sure. the biggest tour, nobody wanted right. to see anybody but Kiss. They had right, 11 right. got booed and the Deftones, all these bands. So meanwhile, we're on a two month tour, brutal tour of the whole country. You know those, Dave, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so it's Fred. Fred. <laughs> yeah. So we're now in Florida, okay? And we get a call, Kiss, has an opening in Omaha, Nebraska. The oh. opening band dropped out. Do you want to do it? Wow. So we shovel everything around. We drive from freaking Florida. Oh my Omaha, goodness. Like day and a half. <laughs> and we open two shows for Kiss at the Omaha Hockey Arena. Yeah. I not. I know wow. it. <laughs> and, and we, and what was so crazy is that Nebraska was the only state left that had festival seating shows. 
So we were the opener. When we went on, the whole place was full because wow. everybody was waiting all day to get in. So we played to two nights opening for Kiss, and we got to see the tour again. So yeah. through that, we got to know Gene a little yeah. bit. Yeah, and, and he loved you guys, right? Yeah, he dug yeah. us because Gene and Paul, they grew up on the Beatles, yeah. and then everybody knows that, that what they were, but also they loved uh, rhythm and blues, Jackie Wilson, that kind of stuff. So flash forward now, another bunch of years, and I think this is 2005, I wanna say, Gene Simmons is doing his reality show and his reality show, you know, Family Jewels. Yep. And one of the little conceits, because of course the show has nothing to do with reality, but it's all <laughs> planned out. So one of the conceits is that Gene is gonna explore his roots yeah. as an as R&B rockabilly blues guy. Yeah. And, he's, and he's been supposedly hired to do a show in Vegas. Ah. So he grabs the Royal Crown Review to be his backup band. Ah. And, and it was so great because he was very, I, working with him was great. I learned a lot. The guy is Smart. an amazing businessman. Sure. Yeah. And he was actually very cool and respectful yeah. of us. I had heard stories about how he wasn't yeah. so nice to people, but to us, he was, he was a perfect gentleman. Yeah. And um, he took us into A&M Studios, where the same room that they did We Are the World, uh -huh. Because the idea was we were going to play at this live show in Vegas, but he said he had done enough of these that he know that on TV it doesn't sound as big as you want it to sound. Right. So we yep, pre-recorded yep. all the tunes that we were going to play with him, and then when we went to Vegas and did this, you know, thing it was his audition for his big Vegas, you know, thing that was going to happen. Yeah. He, um, we played along with our own track so that they could mix the two on TV. So it's nice. and then Gene's vocals yep. were live. That was the idea. Wow. So we got to hang with him. We got to go to his his home office, which is like this yeah, ceiling, <laughs> kiss memorabilia, ten feet right. high in yeah. every direction. It was really cool. Oh. All that was filmed, and we did a three episode arc wow. on the show. Wow! It included in us performing with Gene at the Hard Rock in Vegas and doing these two. Wow. So, so cool. You know, it was it was it was a great Fun. experience. And a great time. Hey, we're yeah. running, we're we're cutting, we're we're coming close to the end, but you gotta promise me you're gonna come back. I gotta yeah, play, man. we gotta play a little bit of smoke on the water. Yeah. Gotta so play me, some of this. Can I gotta, set it up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> set it up. Set it up. So I'll try to keep it short. No, go ahead. Um, I, I led I led bands. I was kind of one of the main business guys in Royal Crown Review, and I led bands in LA, my own trios and quartets. Right. And I was when I moved to New York twelve years ago, I was like, I'm gonna put all that down because I was pursuing my work as an educator. And so I was like, in New York, I'm just gonna be a sideman. And I've slowly developed that. So I have a really thriving career as a sideman now oh, in New great. York. Nice. And the education thing is going. But I always felt like I wanted to, you know, when you're a side man all the time, you really don't have any say about anything. You're paid, you have no responsibility. You come, you do the gig great, you go, you get your money. I wanted to have my own project where I could kind of- I get it. Start. So I started, right I on. do jazz intensives and I should say I have a jazz intensive coming up in Europe, the Daniel Glass European Jazz Intensive. I did nice. four years in New York City. And last year, a guy with a school in Europe said, you gotta come out. So wow. if people go to my website, they can look up the Daniel Glass 2022 European Jazz Intensive. It's amazing. I bring where, my jazz where, you know, where do you do this in Europe? Is this it's just all... south of Frankfurt in oh, a little okay. town called okay. Usthofen at this incredible what, what town. What is the town? It's called Usthofen. Okay. Usthofen. 
And this, the, uh, if people go to my website, just go look under clinics and intensives and they can find all the information there. Outstanding. Um, well, we, I bring my trio from New York. So we bring New York out there. We set up at this music school and we do concerts for the, there's a jazz society there. And so the, and then I also, the guy has a swing band. The guy who owns the school, he's a huge RCR, Royal Crown Review fan. Wow. So I sit in Perfect. and do a two drummer thing with his swing band. So they Sweet. get the concerts, yeah. we teach all day. Yeah. And then every day the drummers sit in with my group. Wow. Nice, awesome. Give them a lot of feedback that way. That's so awesome. I had this group, we've been doing these jazz intensives first in New York and then in Europe. And we were developing a repertoire and we would play some gigs just out, you know, if I got a call for a casual, uh, like a, a, you know, a club date or a private uh, that, that needed a trio, I'd bring these guys in. Right. So I finally, during the pandemic, 2020, I said, let's record an album. And I didn't know what was gonna happen. I just, you know, we had some repertoire, we recorded an album and through crazy circumstances, I got hooked up with a great little label in December of last year, so a year and a half goes by, and I have this fully completed mixed album done. And so now I've, we released the album, we just did it, we sold out Birdland, which was really exciting. Nice. April 28th, we officially released. Awesome. So it's the Daniel Glass Trio, and the record yeah. is called Bam. Bam. Oh, we didn't even, I'm, I feel bad, we didn't even get a chance to talk about, about that. But uh, yeah. listen, but like, one I'd, love of the you, things, I'd love you to come back, but I want to hear yeah. you. All of us are, all of us are fans yeah. of, we all grew up playing rock. That yeah. was one thing I, like Ian Pace is my first drum here. I try to bring yeah. Ian Pace. I mean, I see I Ian every summer. I'm doing a couple shows with Deep Purple. Oh in my summer, God. I'll see him. We so good. I'm jealous. I've met him, I've met him a couple times, but I've yeah. never really got the chance oh, to he's, meet he, him. When he sits behind you. When you're playing, like I was doing a sound check one day, he came out and I'd look over and go, it's Ian Pace. Yeah. Better play well now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. I try to, you know, what I love is that Ian Pace grew up playing jazz in his yeah. father's big oh, band. Yeah. He brought that vibe to Deep Purple. Yeah. And I try to take that vibe yeah. that inspired me and yeah. to kind of bring that to the swing yeah. stuff that I do, you yeah. know? Sure. So anyway, we just happen to be jamming on Smoke on the Water. We came up with this cool arrangement. It's and great. I really think it's it's cool. So this is my this is the jazz like the real yeah. throwing down the series jazz. Hit uh, it. All we do is cover Smoke on the Water. Hit it, Jim.
Wow. Woo. Got a real kind of a John Schofield kind of. Yes. Yeah, it's yes. totally great. Hey, so our, our listeners out there, check out, go to, go to, go to Daniel Class. Daniel, that's your website, DanielClass.com. Is there yes. anything? DanielClass.com. And you can get all your info on Daniel and what he's doing. Bam, the uh, Daniel Glass Trio, it's killer. He's got a great, you know, all the all the stuff, the educational stuff you're doing. It, it, you know, it, it's just really great stuff. And Daniel, yeah, man. thank you for an uplifting podcast after starting the way we did and talking to you about drumming and all this stuff. It's good stuff. And uh, and uh, and uh, hopefully we'll catch up real soon. And, uh, and Freddie, Peace thanks, out. thanks yeah, again. Man. My pleasure. Yeah, Thank man. You guys. Thank hey. you guys for having yeah. me. It's been a ball. Right. It really has. Yeah, we man. need to hang, man. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Listen, I'm going to reach out to you when we come up to New York because we want to come to Please. Birdland and see you, okay? Come up. And I, I also, everybody out there, every Monday at Birdland, it's one of the greatest jazz clubs in the world. And yes. I'm honored to play there every week. And the show on Monday is super fun. It's entertaining. It's um, it's not what you would expect from a jazz club, but it uh, swings and is jazzy, and we play bop everything under the sun. So come, come to Berlin on a Monday. You'll have a great time. And we'll come say hello. Excellent. Yeah. Okay, listen, man. Th- great podcast. I want to thank our sponsors, the Score Rock on Mainline, Croker Percussion, and uh, we'll catch you next time on In the Pocket. Yeah.